Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We are in verses 13 to the end of the chapter this morning, verses 13 to verse 25, as we continue our study in the book of Romans. Let me read for you these verses as we read together, actually. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world. We're still talking about Abraham. The heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings wrath. For where the law is, no law, or, uh, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. So not just the Jewish people, but all peoples. who is the father of us all. So Abraham's not just the father of the Jews. He is the father of all, even the Gentiles, who believe by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, by the way, one of the ways of saying that Abraham is the father is to say, in a formal way, he is the example not that he's the first one, but he is the example of the first one of faith. He is the father of the faith. That's what it's saying. Not that we are biological children of Abraham, but he is the father of the Christian faith. The Bible has labeled him. He's the father of us all, as it is written in verse 17, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, already dead since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him but also for us and Paul is including us, those of us sitting here this morning. It was written for the benefit of us. It shall be imputed to us 
who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Or, excuse me, for our justification. So, there's a few words that, in case you don't know, very Christian words that are mentioned so much in this portion of Scripture and all throughout the book of Romans that, that you should know. And um, that word imputed is one of them. It's mentioned several times. It, some have said the imputed means um, given to us, and, and it, it does mean that, but it means so much more than that. The idea of an imputation is um, connected with the word, you know, um, this medical term to, to be clothed with or to, to receive kind of like an appendage. If somebody has an amputation, um, they can receive a prosthetic appendage. Um, it, it, it's more than that, though, because the word imputation or to impute, it's to be clothed is another term that the Bible constantly uses that is connected to this term, clothed in a righteousness, to be given a robe of righteousness. Though our sins were as scarlet, they, they will be white as wool. We are receiving a robe of righteousness, imputed. We're being clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that though we are sinners and we are forgiven um, for those sins, we are clothed with it. And when God sees us, he does not see what we have done sinfully, but rather he sees what Christ has done sacrificially. And th this is connected. You can do entire studies on this. You can get weird about it. And it's, you can, you know, people who try to get so, 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 so deep that they begin to speculate a lot. But this idea of nakedness comes right from the beginning of mankind, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of creation, where they were naked and not ashamed. There was no shame in their nakedness. And to the glory of God, he gave man a naked woman, and they were not ashamed. So, when they sinned, they realized they were, they were, they were naked. And in their attempt to cover themselves, which is this subject of the book of Romans. Really, it's the subject of the New Testament. Faith, not by works, or, or excuse me, salvation, not by works, but by grace through faith. It's just constant. Redundant, repeated over and over and over again to the point where if you don't begin to meditate on it and absorb it, it may even get annoying hearing it so much. But it is the most glorious doctrine of all. It's amazing, this free gift. And in Adam and Eve's attempts to cover themselves, it was inadequate. 
They took leaves and sewed them together, covered themselves, and God said, no, that won't do. And God killed an animal, no doubt it was a lamb, and he covered them with animal skins. Through the shedding of blood, then God covered them, giving us the first picture of Christ. And so when he sees us, he sees us completely righteous because of the robe that Christ has given us. That's what it's talking about when it's imputed. We are, we are covered. We are lavished with righteousness. So the subject of Abraham continues. It's it's the, the hero of the Jews, though they completely misrepresented who Abraham was and what Abraham believed. Abraham would have been a lot more like you and me this morning than Abraham would have been like the Jews in Israel today. The Jews in Israel predominantly do not believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In fact, they believe their Messiah is more of a political figure than a savior and a, 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 a toner of sins. I just heard a Jewish man the other day. In fact, a Jewish man that I've met in person and had conversations with, a very popular guy named Dennis Prager, talk about that very idea of what they believe the Messiah to be. He's a political figure that will restore the nation of Israel as the greatest nation on earth once again. And Abraham would have been more like me. And the point that Paul is making is Abraham was accounted righteous through faith before the law came, before his circumcision, the, uh, the last Sundays we're studying this incredible doctrine that before the circumcision, he was born again and the Jews are trying to get people to be circumcised to be born again. And it continues on and on and on and on. It's like this down payment always. It's like, okay, I got to keep on going to church to make sure I'm saved. God, I, I got to put something on my head uh, to make sure that I know I'm saved, you know. I, I got a, no tattoos to make sure I'm saved, no piercings, and, and I got to do this and this. And, and this is this incredibly uh, difficult lifestyle of trying to earn favor with God. And that's what he's addressing. Said so the favor that we have with the Father is the sacrifice that his son uh, did on the cross, and that's the, the salvation we have, that's the favor we have, that's the peace we have, that's the joy, that's, that's everything. And, and the moment you start walking in law is the moment that your joy is gone, your assurance is gone, and that's what he's addressing here. And Paul, as I mentioned last week, in Galatians chapter 2 says, if circumcision makes you righteous, go ahead and cut all of the genitals off so that you can be really righteous. I wish those that trouble you, Paul said in Galatians 2, 
I'm not making this up. If you weren't here in the second, third service, I remembered to say this. He says, I wish those that trouble you would cut themselves off. He's saying cut all of their genitalia off. Because if cutting a little bit of the foreskin makes them righteous, why not go further? And that's the idea that Paul is saying. He is saying that there is no end to how far we have to go in order to do works of the law to try to be righteous because there's no way we can ever be righteous. It's a fruitless pursuit. You can, you, you can go to the other side of the universe of righteousness and still have to go further because there's no way as long as time exists that we can become righteous with our own works. This is a big deal. That's why the Bible keeps talking about it. He says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. But through the righteousness, or for those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about the wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. So what Paul is saying in that portion of Scripture is, if you are going to work for salvation, not believe in the Messiah, not absorb through free will and through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, then God will oblige you, but here's the deal. It's between your works and his promise. Your works in completing the law and his promise to give you righteousness. If it is because of your works, then his wrath will be on you because you have no forgiveness of sins and God must punish sin. But if it is his promise by faith, in his promise, then it is a sure thing. The, what the Bible is essentially saying is, would you rather depend upon your abilities or upon God's abilities? Upon your keeping of the law or upon God's ability to keep his word, to keep his promise? This is, this, this, this is very practical way of preaching. We struggle keeping ourselves filled with integrity and keeping our word. We get, I mean, probably most of them, I guess, are what you could call innocent lies. Or maybe they're not quite a lie. They're white lies. It's like showing up on time, you know? It's like, yeah, I have a responsibility at my workplace. And you business owners, you know what it's like to have your employees show up two hours late. It's not nice. And so to, to depend on people's integrity is very difficult all the time. I have a mental problem lately. We're so busy that I, my new way of scheduling meetings is I know when I'm going to be at church. I'm at church usually Tuesday through Saturday, well, Tuesday through Sunday. So I'm always here at 10 a.m. all of those days. I make sure. 
But like, so I'll tell like 10 different people, I'm, I'm here t- 10 a.m., but because I forget the meetings I said, I'll show up at a, uh, I'll leave because I'm actually here at nine, but I'll leave and run an errand, come back, it's 11, they're there waiting. That's a lack of integrity. I got to work on that. You can't depend upon me as much as you can depend upon God. I mean, my point is this, is how much do people let us down? All the time people let us down. Even our loved ones, our wives, our husbands, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, especially our friends and colleagues, especially our boss who doesn't, who always struggles paying us on time. We get let down all the time by human beings. And God is saying, if it is up to you to keep perfect righteousness, and and then you can take the best person amongst us, that person who hardly ever lets people down. They're always keeping their word. They have so much integrity. They're blessing. Even that person is guilty before God. So who is it better to depend upon? Humanity? to keep their word, to make sure they're filled with perfect integrity, perfect righteousness, perfect holiness? Or is it better to walk into salvation through the promise of God by faith? God is much more dependable than we are. That's Paul's point. He says salvation is through the promise. And we believe in that promise who is Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ through faith. Through faith. Man, it's so much better. So much more enjoyable, by the way. Many of you come from different churches, as do I. I come from a a place that it wasn't a heretical church like so many in the world, but it was very legalistic. Very legalistic. I couldn't have a beard. We had to dress in a suit on Sunday mornings, or at least a, um, if not an overcoat, a tie and a and a a, a long sleeve shirt that was buttoned up, that was tucked in, and you had to have dress shoes. And I mean, I mean they had these rules. No beard. I grow a beard overnight. I had to shave every Sunday morning before church. And and and. You, you go to this place and you, can, you start to get the feeling is there, there's not a lot of freedom in this place. There's just not a lot of freedom. I had some um, members of our church whom I love so much. Uh, just on, uh, They were at class on Tuesday, the Calvary Distinctive class that is wrapping up in the next couple weeks. And um, they're like, oh, we're traveling to Nakuru on on Saturday, and we're traveling there on Saturday, and I, we got a wedding, and, uh, and, 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 and we're going to travel back Saturday night so we can be here for Sunday. It's like, well, well whose wedding is it? It's like a friend, but it's a family friend. Our parents are going to be there. I'm like, so your parents are traveling to Nakuru from Nairobi, and, and uh, you're going to rush back to church? Why don't you stay in Nakuru and enjoy some family time? Just hang out with your parents. You haven't seen them that much. They're in school. You know, he's got a fiance. Just enjoy your time. Why are you rushing back? Now, believe me, I believe we should be in church 
if we're purposely missing for bad reasons, but it is ingrained in so many people's minds, especially here in Africa. If you see your pastor or another member of church out in town and you miss church, it could be for a good reason and you almost want to hide your face. And finally they see you and they're like, why weren't you at church on Sunday? <laughs> you know, and it's this, it, it, you know, some of it can be playful, but it can get real legalistic really quick. And I noticed this uh, when uh, I still, it still happens. I'll, I'll see somebody out in town. They're like, pastor, I, I know I wasn't at church Sunday, but I, just listen to me. I'm, I'm like, it's, it's okay. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's, you don't need to tell me that unless you were at Club TMT. It's, it's like, what, what is this paranoia? It's like, I wasn't at church. I know, I know I'm probably in trouble with God. There's this legalism. I told him, just enjoy. And my, my friend that I'm referring to, he said, man, it's ingrained in me that you got to be at your home church every Sunday morning. It's like, even if you're out of town, you know, even if your leg is broken, I mean, listen, we need to be in church. We need to be in fellowship. But guys, don't get legalistic about it. Don't get all crazy. I mean, if you're sleeping in on Sunday morning, you're like, ah, should I go or shouldn't I? That's wrong. But if you're out in Nairobi with your family, enjoy your family and go to a good church there. It, 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 it's, it's written all over us, this legalism. It's written all over us. And I noticed this as I began, when I was a senior pastor early on in the ministry, that you have to make people feel free as you teach. In, in so many ways, you need to make people feel free. The biggest way is to teach the freedom of God's word. God's word is good news to the Christian, not bad news. It's not a bunch of bad news. It's not a bunch of rules. It's like, you got to put a covering on. Is that a tattoo? Whoo. It's... Did you, is that a third piercing on your ear? Are you wearing, are those men trousers? It's just crazy. It can get weird real quick, religion and churches. And the stories we tell, I, there was one a friend of ours who's now a member of the church. She'll be here in the second service. And she's a close family friend. And she was finally leaving a word of faith church, a prosperity gospel church. Uh, through influence, we're sharing the gospel with her a lot. And man, when she's leaving, these people did everything. They're calling her. They're making her feel bad. All these things. And finally, when she stood firm, she's like, I'm not coming back. That's a bad message they're preaching there. And they said, okay, you don't have to come back. But make sure you send your ties here. Make sure you keep sending your money. Boy, that's really what they care about. To, to so many preachers, you guys are nothing more than tithes and offerings. And I want you to know something about me and, and, the, and the leadership here. It's not that we want what you have. We want you as a person. We care about you. We love you as a person. We're not here to create a legalistic, paranoid, nervous Christian. We want you to feel free. And, and so making people feel free, the greatest way you do that is teach true doctrine. Because freedom comes through the word of God, not legalism and paranoia and anxiety and depression. 
But also I noticed as a senior pastor that instead of, you, you, you can't be needy. It's like, why weren't you here Sunday? We, re, we really missed you. That I had to change my language with people because of that situation. You'd be out in town, it's like, oh, I wasn't in church. I know this is, this is what happened. And I would be like, no, don't worry about it. It's like, man, we had a great time though. Oh, you missed out. It's like, don't make people feel like we're so needy as Christians. I am not needy. It is a privilege for each and every one of us to be in this room today. We don't need you. And God doesn't need me. Okay, it's a privilege for us to have this church. Do you understand the great privilege God did in starting Calvary Chapel Eldoret? It's not, it's not because of me. Don't ever think Josh started Calvary Chapel Eldoret. God did. Because God knows that there are many Kenyans who love him and who love his word. Many. Kenya is not just filled with those people who love the prosperity gospel. Kenya is filled with Christians who love Jesus Christ, who are searching for churches that preach true doctrine. And for that reason, we need to plant more churches like this throughout Kenya. So this legalism, don't ever feel that way here. You feel free because the gospel brings freedom, not anxiety and depression. It's a mistake for pastor to put a bunch of rules of legalism on their members. It is a mistake. So, it is through the promise of God that we have faith. Verse 16, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all seed. And not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of whom he believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which exist do not exist as though they did. What, what Paul is saying is, he's saying he's not just the father of the Jewish nation. He's the father of many nations. He's the father of Gentile nations. In fact, he's a Gentile when he got born again. And he is the father of faith because he is chosen by God to be the example of the person who had the first faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying he was the first one to have faith in Jesus Christ. He is the example and the ch chosen one by God to be that example of having the first faith in Jesus Christ. Abraham is the father of all those who believe in Jesus Christ. That's why we sing. That's, that's why people who write even children's songs know this doctrine and they write songs, Father Abraham and many sons. Many sons have Father Abraham and I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord one time. You know, right hand, whatever they say. And, and, and he's the father of our faith. And when I said that Abraham was more like you and me, I meant it. It was more like you and me, eating pork. <laughs> Golly, you know Abraham ate some bacon. You know it. 
Not eating bacon did not make him righteous. He ate bacon. Man, this is blowing the Jews' minds. All this doctrine that, that, uh, that Paul is preaching, it's messing everything up about their self-made religion of legalism and, 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 and prison. They were imprisoned by their doctrine, not set free. It's like, oh, you can't eat bacon. You can't be born again if you eat bacon, if you eat pig. Oh, you, you can't be born again if you're not circumcised. Oh, you can't be born again if you don't do this at the temple. I mean, guys, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Poor kid. We're not, we're not torturing them, I promise. Whoever's the parent, we're not torturing them. I'm trying to discern if it's a Mazungu kid or... That's not mine. Faith, not according to the works of the law. Faith according to grace, the Bible says, through the promise. And it says because it's through the promise... It is sure. And, and, and notice what the Jews focus on. There was the, the Bible commentators and teachers, they call it the Abrahamic covenant. There are many components to the Abrahamic covenant. Four major components to the Abrahamic covenant is number one, they would uh, receive an inheritance of the promised land, the land of Canaan. Abraham went into the land of Canaan, then, you know, they would go in and out, and finally they're enslaved in Egypt, and they went. uh, It's a big deal to the Jewish person, the promised land. And do you know that God promised the land of Canaan, and it is most of the Middle East and even beyond, and the Jews have only, even in their greatest occupation of the promised land, have occupied a third of the promised land? Do you know why they've only occupied of the third of the land that God promised them? Because of disobedience. But it was a big deal in the Abrahamic covenant. You will have the land of Canaan. One of the other big deals, secondly, in the Abrahamic covenant, is I will make from your people a great nation. Genesis 13, Genesis 18. Number three, big deal in the Abraham covenant is the promise of the blessedness of the world coming from the Jewish people. He said to Abraham, from your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And they, they, they took that as the Jewish people primarily, which in a sense it is true, but they focused on from the Jewish people the nations of the world will be blessed rather than focus on the specificity of the promise was Christ will bless the whole world, not just the Jewish people. So they become very nationalistic in the promise. Do you see how easy it is to pervert the meaning of Scripture to make it focus on ourselves very uh, a, a narcissist. You read every single passage. It's about me. Well, this is what the scripture means for me. You ever hear that? It's like, this is what I receive from the scripture. It, it, it's that God loves me and I can live with my boyfriend. 
Really? That's what, that's what you got from that? Huh. No, no, the scripture means the same thing for everyone. Now, you can personalize it as long as you personalize the truth of what it really means. And they took that, the promise of, of, of the blessedness of the whole, whole world coming from the seed of Abraham as we're going to bless the whole world. Woo! It's us instead of focusing on Christ. They focused on their land and the prosperity that the land could bring them more than focusing on Christ. They focused on all these things. The law brings no help. It brings no strength. It brings no joy. It brings no peace. It brings no hope. And what the passage of Scripture is telling us today is it brings no assurance. Now, I try to personalize these things in the sense, not to change the truth, in the sense that we get the implications of what the, the Bible is saying. Because I know most of us agree with what's being preached here. But here's a sign if you're walking in law other than faith and grace. Here's a sign. Do you have assurance of salvation? Do you know if you die today, you're going to heaven? Now, if you're not born again, then it's good that you know that. But if you are born again and you're still doubting, it means that you're doubting because the, the assurances you have in keeping the law. I mean, guys, do you know how many people who attend church that I've asked through all of the evangelism I've done is, if you die today, would you go to heaven? Even people who attend so many different churches, the predominant answer is, I hope so. I hope so. It's like, do you know what the Bible's saying? It's that through the promise, we, it, it is a sure salvation, the Bible's saying. It's when we rest in the promise of God to believe in Christ by faith, we know we're saved. You come to me and say, if I know I'm going to heaven, I'm like, you better believe I'm going to heaven. I've had people ask me that and tell me I was arrogant for saying that. It's like, no, 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 don't, don't misunderstand. I am confident that I'm going to heaven, not because I'm arrogant or because I believe in my own abilities. I am confident I'm going to heaven because I believe in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's my confidence. Guys, that brings a lot of joy to my life. That brings a lot of peace. It brings a lot of hope. The law gives no help, no strength, no joy, no peace, no hope, and no assurance. So if you're lacking any of those things, it could be that you're living a legalistic relationship with God rather than relationship based on His promise based on his word, believing his promise, believing his word. Do you have joy? Do you have peace? Do you have strength? Good. You're resting in the assurance of his promise over the weakness of your ability to keep 
religion going. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to do. No, when, when you start loving Jesus, it's not about I got to go to church. I got to give. I got to share. It's like, no, I get to talk about my Lord. What a privilege it is. There is a massive transfer. There's a big difference, guys. When going to church becomes a struggle in your soul and in your mind, you're leaving a legalistic lifestyle and you're going to backslide into sin. When going to worship God is your joy, it's because you love him. You have assurances. Do you know what else the law does do? Very interesting statement in Romans chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Listen to this. I'm running out of time, but I got a lot more to preach, so we'll, we'll manage something. It says in verse 7 of Romans chapter 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. And then listen to this, verse 8. But sin, taking opportunity by the command, produced in me all manner of evil desire. Now this is a big deal. And I was studying this yesterday. It's, it's amazing how you can read Scripture and miss so much. Now it's important that we read because it's like food to our, to our spiritual bodies. But it's also important we study what the Bible's teaching, even on our own. And that's why we put the emphasis on our church. I hope you guys are noticing the sign. As you walk in now into the sanctuary, a sign in the lobby is, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and be the glory both now and forever. If we're not growing in the knowledge of Christ, we're not growing in our faith. And when I studied this yesterday, I thought, oh my, the law not only gives no help, no strength, no joy, no peace, no hope, no assurance. It produces in us a desire to sin more. That's what the Bible's saying in verse 8. It's saying, not only do I know what sin is now, because the law says don't covet, now I know what coveting is, but because the law says don't covet, it produced in me all manner of evil desires. Now I want to covet because I was told not to. Now I want to have sexual immorality because I was told not to. That's how wicked our flesh is. Guys, this is so true for children. It's indicative of human beings, but it is manifested in children especially. You got your little child, they, could, they just start walking, right? And you're like, don't touch that, it's hot. And they're like, hot, hot. They immediately do what you told them not to. Why? Because you told them not to do it. That's how wicked they are. That's how wicked we are. And that's what the Bible's saying. It's like, how could I miss this? I've read Romans 7 hundreds of times. Paul is not just saying, not only does the law produce no salvation, no joy, no peace, no righteousness, no assurances, because there's no assurances in you keeping the law. That's why people always doubt their salvation. And you should not doubt your salvation if you believe in Christ. You believe in Christ, you're going to heaven, ladies and gentlemen, and he loves you. It's good news. It's good news for us. 
I don't have to look at my own abilities. I don't have to be condemned and feel guilty all the time of my past sins. I am forgiven and my assurance is that he promised me salvation because of his righteousness, not because of mine. Good news. That's good news. But not only that, it's like when you start telling people not to do things, not, you've given the knowledge of what not to do. And then because of the flesh, they have the desire to do it. It's like, man, I, my kid would not even have touched that if I told him not to do it. You almost want to, don't do this, but you almost want to do reverse psychology. It's like, touch that. It's like, nah, I don't want to. That's when Paul says, I, I don't do the things that my spirit wants to do, but I do the very things that is sin that is in me. It's like we have no ability to produce righteousness in the flesh. None. So Paul is saying, not only does the law give no help, no strength, no peace, no joy, no assurances, it produces in us even more evil desires, all manner of evil desires. Guys, that's why. I mean, I could go on preaching. I'm, I'm out of time. I, I will go on preaching next Sunday. That's why... It is so important, not just for us to realize this, for us to raise our children in churches that believe in teaching them a loving relationship with Christ over and above a legal law-based relationship with Christ. Because they're going to grow up in church constantly hearing, no sex outside of marriage. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do that one. Don't do this. Don't do that. Fornicator. You know, all this stuff pointing the finger and by the time they're 16, 17 or even younger for some of us like I've been told all my life not to do everything my body wants to do forget this religion forget this faith this church has told me my whole life just pointing the finger don't do this, don't do that don't do this, don't do that and it's everything I want to do you know what's better? Introducing those children to the person of Jesus Christ. Because once they meet him, their whole lives will change. Everything will change. Sure, salvation, the Bible is saying. It says, so shall your descendants be. Or let me go back to I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God who gives life to the dead calls those things which do not exist as those they did. He can say, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're not saved. You will be saved through my promise. You will be alive though you are dead. He can say those things. He can awaken the very womb of Abraham's wife. So the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be, not being weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced 
that what he had promised he was also able to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone, but it was imputed to him. It was given to him. And listen, church. I said, now this will be the third time. Abraham was more like us. Abraham had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we know this? I'm not speculating. John chapter 8. He said to the religious leaders who did not know Jesus Christ. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they said to Jesus, you're not even 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? He said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, not only did I know Abraham, Abraham knows me. And he rejoiced to see the day that I told him about. A day of providing a sacrifice. You don't got to provide your own son. I will provide myself. A day of the Messiah. But not only that, I was the one who told him that. I was the one who made promises to him. I was the one who gave him righteousness. And they took up stones to kill him in John chapter 8. That's what they did. But remember this. Remember this. If you... If, if you're struggling with strength, with joy, with peace, with assurance, it could be that you have lived a legalistic lifestyle with Jesus Christ. You just want favor from him based on what you do rather than see, receiving the favor from him based on what he's done. Rest in the sacrifice of Christ and take rest in the person of Christ. He loves you. You don't got to be Billy Graham for him to love you more. He loves you fully as much as anything or anyone could ever love you right now. And you have assurance of salvation as you put your faith in him. Let me pray as we end this service. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that by faith we can receive grace and come into an assurance of salvation. I pray your blessing upon this congregation as they depart in fellowship now. In Jesus' name, amen.